<laughs> yes. How are you, Dan, first of all? Yeah, man, really good, really good. How about you? I keep thinking to myself, I've had a really lazy weekend, but um, I've actually done lots of exercise and gone for a run and stuff. So technically I haven't been lazy, but I just haven't done a lot of the stuff that I planned to do. I mean, I've had a, I've had a lazy weekend, but I can't, I've kind of got to that stage now where a lazy weekend is just, it's just the norm. Yeah, and sometimes it's necessary, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, you have a tough week and you just want to chill out. To be honest, not every week, but yeah, it is, it is real necessary. And do you know what? I think they're underrated as well. People want to do too much on the weekends because it's their only time off. Yeah, I think that's my problem. Yeah, real good, real good. <laughs> right, and Dan, so football this weekend, I think we might as well um, just talk about well, share the scores of all the games and then quickly go into what we have learned from this weekend. I hear a lot of journalists and pundits ask that question, what did we learn? And I think it's a really interesting thing to ask. So, in chronological order, Sheffield United beat West Ham United 1-0. Yep. Palace drew with Arsenal 1-1. Yep. Chelsea beat Burnley 3-0. Um, Everton won 1-0 at, against Brighton. Sorry, can we do it in the, like the old, uh, you know, uh, like the old video printer, like um, Leicester City one, Southampton two. Yeah, I feel like that's for Manchester United four, Norwich City nil. Yes, Wolverhampton Wanderers one, Newcastle United one, mm. Tottenham Hotspur nil, Liverpool one. Sunday's really good. Bournemouth. Nil, Watford, three. Oh, strong. Aston Villa, one. Manchester City, six. That was six. Six, yeah. Pacing. So it's been a pretty high-scoring weekend, actually. It's been a real high-scoring weekend. Um, Overall question I want to ask is, what have we learnt from this weekend? We have learnt that Sergio Aguero is now the leading overseas goal scorer in Premier League history. With a, a hat-trick today. I watched that game, actually. Um, Man City were just n- another level. They're so good. They're so good. I have got a question for you. Hit me with it. So Aguero has replaced Omri as the, the highest-scoring overseas player. He's done it in less games. Mm-hmm. Who would you have? Who Who would you rather have out of... Aguero in his prime or Henri in his prime? Who would you? Because Aguero is really, really underrated. You think he's underrated? Yeah, because it sounds silly because everyone everyone knows how good he is, but I don't feel like he's in the conversation. Of all the players in the Premier League over the history, if I could have one of them that would have played for Liverpool, it would be Henri. Yeah. Because Henri on his day was unbelievable. It's, it's a real tough one, man, because 
I think Henri was like extremely entertaining, not just a good footballer, but I remember watching him on Saturday night on match of the day and trying so desperately to like do what he did on Sunday in Sunday league football. Like it was all about Henri, I felt. Unbelievable. Do you remember that free kick? Is that enough? Yeah, just stuff like that. You know when he like swank his foot as if he was kicking the ball, but then he slightly kicked it with the left foot and yeah, just things like that. But it's really, it's a real tough one because I think when it comes to actual just straight footballing ability, maybe Aguero pips him. But for entertainment value, Henri. See, I disagree with you. I think footballing ability, Henri is better. I think as a goal scorer, mm. I think maybe maybe Aguero. I think maybe it comes more natural to Aguero than it does Omri. Well, I think even even saying that, maybe that's why we take Aguero for granted sometimes because you know he does his job and he does his job really well. And apart from dyeing his hair blonde, like he doesn't really have a huge entertainment value. He's not like a huge character on social media, for example, or he doesn't necessarily do like dazzling tricks that you see on these little. Instagram profiles with that horrible house music. <laughs> yeah. And like oh, horrible house music. <laughs> yeah. you, just burned every, you just burned everyone that makes them on YouTube. Um, but like, yeah, it was just something that I was thinking about today while watching it. And he is so good. If you're looking for a striker, if you're just looking for someone that will stick balls in the back of the net, mm-hmm. I think you have to go Aguero. Henri, I think had, like you said, more of an impact on me. Personally, like I used to love watching Arsenal just because of Omri. Yeah. Like the flick, the flick and turn against United, you know, where he lobbed Bartes. Oh, that was, yeah, that unfortunately stays in my memory. Yeah. I actually was listening to a podcast with Omri today, The uh, Greatest Game with Jamie Carragher. Yeah. Listening to it kind of remind me how much I miss him playing because he was always the standout. He was always the guy that. You know, when you played knockout, when you played knockout Wembley or something like that, and everyone, you know, as a kid, you chose you chose what player you wanted to be. Yeah, everyone wanted to be on Reed, didn't they? Yeah, he was sexy, man. And I think that because of that, I would ha- I would rather have on Reed, but take nothing away from Aguero because he is unbelievable and he is easily, I think, the best striker in the world. One thing that I find really interesting about Aguero is. Um, you know, he scored all these goals under a few different managers. And when Pep first came into the team, it definitely seemed like Pep almost didn't see Aguero as part of his plans. He brought in um, Jesus and it was, he brought in Jesus as like the succeeder to Aguero to, to fit this plan of Pep's. And I felt like Aguero was patient and had to almost prove to Pep. He, Aguero shouldn't have to prove himself to anyone. He's one of the greatest strikers of however long, but he definitely had to prove to Pep that he can fit into this plan and he can, he's still outscoring Jesus. They both started today and, you know, Aguero was the guy. Um, I just find that really interesting, that whole little period where it looked like Pep was saying Aguero doesn't fit this identity. It's, it's really strange. I, just a quick thing, I think I've got a little bit excited talking about Henri and called Aguero the best striker in the world. Um, <laughs> maybe need to rethink that one, but he's certainly up there. Yeah. Um, the, the amazing thing about Aguero is I think he's almost reinvented himself under Pep. He's not just that guy that sits in the box now. You know, you see him, you know, doing a bit of a workman-like job, getting about, getting about, you know, hurrying defenders a bit more rather than the Aguero of old 
sitting on the last man. Just he was a goal scorer. Yeah, he had to change because, like you said, although you know to the to everyone on the outside, you don't. He doesn't need to prove himself. When a new manager comes in, everyone needs to prove themselves. Yeah, especially a manager with like a very specific philosophy. And and that's it. And I think that if you don't build into his philosophy, it doesn't matter how good you are. He will he will buy someone that fits into it because it's going to be a better fit. Yeah. And you're always expendable. And I think that he realised that and changed his game up. I really want to, as we're talking about Man City, I, I want to take a moment to again shout out, and we've done it so many times, but Kevin De Bruyne, his, his assist fire. for Jesus's goal, unbelievable, like pinpoint accuracy. And he does that time and time again, like it's nothing. I almost feel like people might start taking him for granted. Well, he's the top assister this season. He's got 14 assists. Second, Trent Alexander-Arnold only has eight. Yeah. So he's head and shoulders above the rest in the assist game. He is unbelievable. He was your captain in fantasy, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, I noticed because I was, I was checking. <laughs> got you 18 points. Did he? You finished on, I think, 58 this, this week, I think. How much did you finish on? 54, so I didn't have a bad week. <laughs> but I think I'm still ahead of you in the league though so it's all good it's all, no, good. It's all right it's all right I'm catching you um, <laughs> yeah what a player I can say this with some venom he is the best centre midfielder in the world I don't think there's any doubt about it yeah I, I'm desperately trying to think of someone to challenge that and I really can't he's so pivotal to what they do yeah you kind of run out of superlatives for him the greatest passer I think I've ever seen. He makes it look easy as well. I think that's the scary thing. Yeah. He makes it look easy. Quick shout out to uh, Riyad Mahrez. He had a good game as well. Looking tasty, looking skillful. Going back to the assist charts and the scoring charts, as we mentioned, um, Aguero kind of climbing the scoring charts. He scored 13 goals this season. Who, and he's still behind a few players, actually. Jamie Vardy at the top with 17. But one player in particular I want to mention uh, who scored more than Aguero, and I believe is world-class, he put in a world-class performance yesterday, uh, is Marcus Rashford. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. like a dog with a bone. He's world-class, like man. Oh, some of those no, skills. Oh, he is not well do you know what right yeah he performed against Norwich right bottom of the table Norwich <laughs> are they actually bottom <laughs> yeah the oh. bottom of the table no no what Kevin De Bruyne is world class it's actually an insult to world class players to put Rashford in that mix well the conversation this week has been really interesting because obviously Kane's out injured for the rest of the season and which makes him somewhat a doubt for the um, Euros in the summer so the question has come up, is Rashford our go-to striker in the Euros? Is, is, is he England's go-to striker? Is he the most informed striker in England right now? No. Who is? Danny Ings? Jamie Vardy and Danny Ings. You said it yourself, Jamie Vardy's top of the assist charts. Yeah. Like, he's real good. If it wasn't for him retiring, I don't think, I don't think Rashford would be in the conversation I think it would just be straight Jamie Vardy talk interesting because for me I think even watching that game like Rashford really he really carries Man United Man United's a big club but 
we massively rely on Rashford and he's carrying us not all the time, but in games like yesterday, if it wasn't for Rashford, I'm not sure if we would win that convincingly. He, he provided assists. He drove the team forwards. Um, and that's something that, you know, Vardy is a great striker, but somewhat reliant on other players around him to feed him and stuff. Rashford's happy to feed himself a lot of the time. Don't get me wrong. Rashford is a good player. He's a real good player. But mm. I think Rashford is better coming in from the left. That's my personal opinion. I feel like he's better coming in from the left than he is being a central striker. Does he start for England? Uh, Up against Sterling, Jadon Sancho? I think he does. I think he does. I think he starts ahead of Sancho. Mm-hmm. And that's more what I think Southgate will do rather than what I would do. Yeah. Um, with Sterling on the other side. That's what I personally think will happen. Fair enough. I can't, I can't go along with this world-class thing and listen to you listen to you talking about it. I kind of get it. Like, I think Manchester United is a big club. And I think that, like you said, he's sort of dragging them along in stages. Yeah. And I almost feel like that's, that's fooling people in the sense of, like, Manchester United have had Ronaldo Drag them through some, you know, through, through some of the harder times. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, it's no, no, nowhere near as hard as what it is now. When Rooney and things like that, people that you can say genuinely at some points in their career are world class. Yeah. But now, despite the fact that he's dragging them through a bit, it's a different United side with different aspirations. I, I thought it was embarrassing that Solskjaer would come out and said it shows that City respect us by playing their full strength team in the League Cup. They battered us, to be fair. <laughs> but you're, you're Manchester United yeah like you are a Premier League team and you're fifth stop stop talking like you're a League One side do you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. that's that's what a League One manager says against Man City I'll tell you what they obviously think well, that we're not too bad because they're playing their full strength side no Premier League team should be saying that because he's dragging you through certain games and there's this still obviously the name Manchester United is still massive despite the fact that they are dwindling I think that that's what it is. He'll go through a stage. He will absolutely go through a stage of 10 games where he does nothing. Is it fair to say, I, saw, I did see a stat the other day suggesting that if Marcus Rashford hypothetically was to play for Man City, he'll score 30, 40 goals a season. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think he would. Hmm. For one, he wouldn't get into the City side. I don't know. I think he might, you know. A fully fit City side he does not get into. Hmm, that's an interesting question. That's one for the listeners. Do you think Rashford would get into a fully strength, fully fit Man City squad? Or Liverpool, for argument's sake? Who would you take out? He's he's not getting anywhere near that Liverpool side. I think he's a better striker than Jesus. But is he better than Aguero? don't think he's better than Aguero. But if if you're playing him coming in from the left or from the right, um, so that's either, I guess, Sterling or... Bernardo Silva or Mares or Sane I prefer him to Mares and Sane it's a tough one I think him and Sterling are sort of on par actually you know I, I would probably take Rashford over Sterling oh my I think Sterling has been incredible because he's in an incredible team don't, don't get me wrong I think that Sterling has become a lot better because of Pep mm-hmm but I would rather 
have Sterling than I would Rashford. And again, that's no, there's no sight on Rashford because I think he's really good. Yeah. I just think Sterling's better. Fair. Like, I, I think that Rashford gets into the majority of sides. He'd walk into the Arsenal side. Yeah. He'd walk into the Chelsea side. He'd, he'd walk into the Spurs side. So you're basically saying, you're going to say every club bar Liverpool and City. Interesting. Anyway, we could go on about Rashford for days because we always seem to. But overall, yeah. <laughs> good win for United, albeit against uh, bottom of the Premier League. Again, as we go through these games, the the question I want to keep asking is, what have we learned? I think that we, we've learned that, once again, you've got a prodigy in Mason Greenwood. Yeah, one matter's still got it. Yeah, matter, matter can do a, well, we can do a bit against bottom of the league. Try not to be biased against United. But you hate us, don't you? Be honest, you hate us. No, I, do, I really do. I really do. But <laughs> if, I, if I take my Liverpool cap off for a second, yeah. I just think you're just not very good. We're the only team that have held you this season. And, and the thing is, is that is the highlight of your season. Like that's where you've become. You've you got to the point now where like the, the bragging rights is, is that you've beat City for one game and you're the only team that's taken points off of us. Like, that's Manchester United. Yeah, I remember when we were so much better than you back in the day. <laughs> Crazy to think. Like, we, it used to be roles reversed. If we used to take points off you, I used to be so happy. That Brendan Williams looks all right. Yeah. I'll give you that. I, I think he looks all right. He looks like he's got a massive chip on his shoulder, but he looks decent. Mm, he's quite excited. I know you're going to curse me for this. I know you're going to curse me for this, but I really, really am... Not unsure, because I think he's a good player, but Wan-Bissaka, if I was a Man United fan, scares me. Thus far, I really like him. I just think going forward, he's not the greatest. And I, I know what you mean. I know, I know what it is. It's, his, it's this idea that he's always having to make last-ditch tackles rather than just not letting his man get past him in the first place. But, but I don't even think it's that now. Watching him, he just loves to slide tackle. Like, I don't even think it's like a positional thing. I think it's just whenever he has a chance, he will slide. <laughs> it's quite entertaining, to be fair. Like, honestly, like, honestly, and he doesn't care if it's in the box or not. Like, don't get me wrong, his, his success rate is good. Yeah. But he could be a real, real handful if it goes, if it goes pear-shaped. He, he had touch wood, he hasn't given away a penalty yet. Rarely do I see people get slide tackles so right. I mean, we saw one this weekend, which was... I think unfortunate, but all in all, a red card in Aubameyang. Did you see that one? Yes, yes, I did. I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic about him thus far. He's hasn't put a foot wrong, but his way of putting his feet about is, yeah, as you say, dangerous. It's risky to yeah. slide tackle. I The one thing I will say mm. is I think Fred's looking better. Yeah, I'm still on the fence about Fred. There was a period of games where he looked a lot better. But I watched the game from start to finish and he still gives the ball away quite a lot. You can tell with him, he kind of expects more time than he actually has. Sometimes yeah. he gets the ball and, you know, one touch pass it, but he'll like try and turn or he tries to make a killer pass, which is, which is good. We need someone to be a bit more creative, but often is killer passes don't come off. Yeah, he's an interesting player because he's not really a defensive midfielder, but he always sits deep and gets the ball from deep. Yeah, 
I don't really understand what he does other than like sort of he kind of reminds me in a sort of weird way not as good by any means as Jorginho at Chelsea because he just gets the ball deep and passes it about deep yeah I think Jorginho is better yeah Jorginho is definitely better at that yeah Um, yeah, yeah I'm really desperate to have Pogba back if I'm honest Arsenal are standing now. Yeah. Like where Arsenal are and their recent results. Mm-hmm. Palace away, is that a point gained or two points dropped? That's probably a fair result. I mean, we didn't do our predictions this week, but I would have predicted that. And I almost feel that both managers will be satisfied with that result. Yeah. Because obviously given Arsenal's start to the season and, you know, the times at Arsenal recently have been very difficult... And appointing a new manager, sometimes things change overnight, but not always. Yeah. I'm sure they're probably still learning Arteta's philosophy, whatever it may be. And Palace, you know, they're, they're a good team. They've, they've shown this season that they're probably a middle to top half of the table team. Yeah. And they can upset the big guns quite a lot. So, yeah, if, generally, if I was an Arsenal fan or an Arsenal player or the Arsenal manager, I would be happy with that. And likewise, if I was at Palace... They're so good going forward, Arsenal. I really like Lacazette. Yeah. And and Aubameyang speaks for himself. I think it's just a shame about them defensively. We've been saying it all season, Socrates and David Luiz are just not really good enough. They're not really cutting it. Leno's all right. He's got a mistake in him now and then. But he's he's had a decent start to the season. It's a real difficult one at Arsenal. It is a real difficult one. Pepe's starting to look good, finally. He's got some skills about him and he's starting to settle a little bit. He had a chance where he hit the inside of the post. It's difficult to tell if Arteta has uh, a philosophy. He's obviously shouting at the players, which which they didn't have before and is a necessary kick in the backside that I think the Arsenal players need. Yeah. I think only time will tell, really. It'll be interesting to see if Arteta has adopted the, the same philosophy that belongs to this kind of, this lineage of Cruyff and... Guardiola into now Arteta. I wonder if he follows that kind of lineage and Arsenal might stop playing attractive football like they used to. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. You know, coming, he's a the prodigy child of prep of Pep as such. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, I don't. I don't think they're going to be playing the, you know, this hump and the, the hump, the lump up front and hoofing it. Yeah. I don't really think that's going to be his style. And I think that they'll become all right. I think he just needs a bit of time. It'll be interesting to see if they make any signings as well. I think they need to. Yeah, address that back line because, um, I mean, David Luiz is a new signing. So is it harsh to kind of push him out the side already? I don't know. It's probably what they need. Oh, I, I, just, I just think you knew what you were getting with David Luiz. Mm. I don't think that this is a surprise. Mm. I don't think defensively is that great. I think he'd make a much better defensive midfielder. Yeah. If anyone was surprised of what how he's played or how he's been, I'd be shocked. Speaking of transfer window as well, it is January. And because it is a transfer window, obviously Zahar's name's going to get thrown about quite a lot. Where does he go, Dan? He isn't going anywhere until the summer. He won't go anywhere until the summer. And then I think in this summer, he will go to either Arsenal or Chelsea. He's not having an extraordinary season. So I wonder if his, his value... Has maybe gone down since last summer. I, I don't think it will, to be honest, because I don't know how many years he's got left on his contract. 
But and he is twenty seven now. He's no longer a youngster. It's it's, it's one of them, isn't it? He is what his value is as much as someone's willing to pay for him. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is the other factor in that is Palace are also going to hike up that price because they need to. It's their best player, mm-hmm. and they've got to get as much money as possible. Yeah. So um, I think that it's going to be another sticky wicket for him in the summer, whereby Palace are going to want 70 million, but everyone else only rates him at 40, 50 million. And finally on that game, Aubameyang red card. Was it a red card? Yeah, yeah, it was. Dangerous, dangerous. Yeah, could have could have broke the guy's leg, poor guy. Yeah, not great, not great. Talking about challenges. Yep. Andy Robertson in the Liverpool-Tottenham game. Uh, I don't remember it, actually. So it's it's almost the same as Aubameyang's. It was on the um, young Tottenham defender. Tanganga. Tanganga, that's the one. He got him sort of between the shin and the ankle. Yeah. But that, there's no, he's not got the ball at all. Now, I've seen a lot of people say, well, VAR didn't even look at it. Mm-hmm. But I was told today that VAR didn't look at it because the referee didn't brandish yellow card. So from what I'm told, and I could be wrong, is that VAR only look at possible reds if there is a yellow card that's been given for the challenge. And because there is no yellow card, VAR won't intervene. Me personally, that's a red. He's endangered his opponent Mm -hmm. and he was very lucky to get away with it. And Liverpool were very lucky to get the win in the end. I don't know what the, the rules are on this, but is that something that can get reviewed and he can still get a, a suspension? Or as the moment passed now and he's got away with it, essentially? I, I don't know. I think because he's got no yellow card, unless the referee does... If the referee makes no mention of it in his match report, then I think he can be sanctioned. Interesting. Or if the referee said that he didn't see it. If the referee didn't see it, then the Football Association then take it into their own hands, I believe. That's really interesting. It d- doesn't seem fair. For me, VAR should be, you know, picking up on stuff the ref hasn't even seen, like this incident. Mm, yeah. Um, but to kind of, co- it seems like it's there to correct the ref as opposed to yeah. identify something the ref has missed. Yeah. Or help the ref. That's, yeah. that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's a very bizarre system. But honestly, I don't even want to get into VAR because we would we'd probably be talking about it longer than we would Rashford. Like you said, Liverpool, a, a sort of plucky win. Like I watched that game as well. And maybe Liverpool deserved to win, but you're definitely winning a lot of games this season that you could easily lose. So what I would say is, in the first half, they didn't touch us. If it was a boxing match, they wouldn't have laid a hit on us. Yeah. Second half, I think I personally, and this may be a little bit of a downer on Spurs, I think it was just we took our foot off the gas and almost took our mind off of it. Mm-hmm. Allowed Spurs to get back in. They squandered some chances in that second half as well. Yeah. Oh, the Salso's chance was big. The Salso's chance was big. Son had a couple of chances as well, if I remember. By the way, that Tanganga looks very good. I was a fan of him, actually. I was very surprised that he started, um, but I thought he'd done well. Is that an example of Mourinho favouring a young player? It's one of two things. It's either Mourinho favouring a young player or it's Mourinho saying to Daniel Levy, it's January and I have to play him. But Liverpool have set a new record now. 21 games, 61 points. 
Um, that's the best in the history of the top five European leagues. Well done. I've got a very good stat for you. Allison, in his 51 games that he's played in the league, has conceded as many goals as he has clean sheets. For real? Yeah. So Allison has conceded 27 goals in 51 games, but kept 27 clean sheets. That's very impressive. Flying high. I'm not going to talk about Liverpool anymore. Liverpool speak for themselves. There's not really much to say other than that they're like definitely odds on to win the league now. They, they look unstoppable. But, but I'm still not going to say it. I'm still not going to say it. Okay. I appreciate that because I don't really want to hear it, to be fair. Yeah. But honestly, <laughs> if we do win it, you won't stop hearing it. We're going to do like 14 specials on it. What else have we learned this week in, in the round of games? We've had a bit of a change to the bottom three. Watford, Bournemouth. Interesting game. Did you watch that one? I don't want to even talk about that game. I needed it to end a draw to win £1,300. Oh. <laughs> yeah, six draws. Six draws and that one let me down. I am gutted, honestly. Bournemouth are poo. Of all the games, funnily enough, this was the one I was most confident of who I thought would win. Just, I just had a feeling the momentum is strongly with Watford and like the, the kind of downward spiral is strongly with Bournemouth, it would seem at the moment. Yeah, Bournemouth are poo. It was a bad decision. Mm. Oh, I'm so bitter, honestly. So that win takes Watford out of the relegation zone for the first time this season. Since day one, they've been in the relegation zone. Yeah. So is it fair to say what we've learned from that game is that Watford will stay up? I think they will stay up. Um, I also think there's no coincidence. I think Troy Deeney coming back has been massive for them. Yeah. Um, I think that's something we've learned. And I also, um, maybe, after a little, after a few more weeks, if they still carry on, might have to change my mind about Nigel Pearson saying that he's actually going to do a quite good job. Well, I heard a stat today that in his last 15 Premier League games, that this is the first few games of Watford and the last few games with Leicester all that, that time ago, um, he's won 11 games, which is a pretty good record. It's not a bad gig, is it? No, not at all. Considering like the, the calibre of the teams he's managed at the time, Leicester weren't as high-flying as they are now. And obviously Watford, he inherited a team that was literally at the foot of the table and has gone on a bit of a winning streak with them. Yes, it's very impressive. Very impressive for him. But yeah, Bournemouth are, Bournemouth are struggling. They're almost sinking without a, without a trace. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to see if if teams can start picking up wins below them, whether or not they're... Oh, well, to be fair, they're 19th. So I think Bournemouth are, you know, a great potential to go relegated this season. Mm, it's a shame because they've got some good players. Like I think Ryan Fraser's a good player. Callum Wilson's a good player. Um, they've got a few players in their squad that I don't think are championship players that I think they'll have to offload. They do go down. I agree. I also think that I think they've misplaced some of their money. I don't think that's helped them. Mm-hmm. I think they've had big buy, big buys on players that haven't quite worked out. Namely Solanke. Namely Solanke. Yeah. Not looking good. Not looking good. <laughs> Everton winning. Uh, Brighton, decent win. Yeah, I, I did expect that one. I thought maybe that manager, new manager bounce of Ancelotti coming in might bring a little kick out of Everton, perhaps. Not, not bad. I think, I think what we've learned from that is that Ancelotti might get a little bit more out of them than what um, 
Marco Silva did, but to be fair, I kind of expected that anyway. Yeah. The Wolves-Newcastle game, Miguel Almiron, it's scoring records like buses, isn't it? You wait ages for one to come and then two come at once. I, I feel like he's going to go on a massive scoring streak now. I, I like him. I liked him as a player since he started. I think he's just been really unfortunate. Do you remember the film Goal? Oh, Santiago Nunes. Yes, and he was Mexican too, and he played for Newcastle. Is he from Paraguay? Paraguay. Santiago, what a player. Well, this game was interesting because I, I, I firmly thought that Wolves would probably run away with it. I, I picked up a load of Wolves players in my fantasy squad, um, Traore, um, Jimenez, and they just didn't really do it, which is a shame for my fantasy squad. Yeah, yeah, not not great, not great. That's why you only got 54 points. I like it. My shout that Newcastle won't get relegated this season is not doing too badly. Mm-hmm. They are, I mean, they're five points above the drop, but I think that they'll be all right. I think there's three worst teams in Newcastle. They're only two points behind Arsenal. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. The Sheffield United-West Ham game is something that I quickly want to talk about. Um, Sheffield United are still doing bits in the league still sort of de- deceiving critics 32 points after 22 games mm-hmm. only two points behind Manchester United in fifth still keeping lots of clean sheets but they were very fortunate wasn't it a, a goalkeeping mistake that led to the goal uh, it was but West Ham should have had a goal in the last minute I don't know if you see it oh with Declan Rice the, the handball incident yeah yeah that was unfortunate man now, now this isn't a VAR issue. I will sort of stand up for VAR here. It's it's a law issue. The law states that if it touches an attacking team's hand in the build-up to play and the goal is scored, it gets ruled out. Now, there's no way Declan Rice could have got out of the way of that. He is the ball has been booted onto his hand. Mm. And I think the law needs to be changed because it's slowly going to start killing atmospheres because everyone's going to be like, oh, was, you know, well, was that handball? Can we celebrate it? Can we not? You know, mm. and second guessing everything. And it's, it's a needless law. I remember back in the day, we used to have ball to hand. That was a thing. And it was the idea that if the ball hits your hand and you can't do anything about it, so be it, play on. I don't think the ball hitting Declan Rice's arm creates an advantage for him. I kind of understand if it ricochets off an arm and it creates like an advantage for the attacking team. I, I couldn't tell you if this did create an advantage, if it made the ball fall more into his path or anything like that. And for me, I think it should be judged on if it's, whether it's deliberate or not, if it like puts the ball into a, a position that actually favours the attacker, then I feel maybe that's an unfair advantage. See, I I disagree with that because the ball has been booted into his arm. Mm. And I think because of that, there's nothing he can do. So he's being penalised because an opponent has booted at him. And I I think that they should go back to deliberate. I think if it's deliberate, then it needs to be looked at. But rarely does anyone ever deliberately handball it. No, but... Unless Luis Suarez in the World Cup. There needs to be a clear way of defining it because that's it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I know it was just it's very unlucky, very unlucky for West Ham, um, who you know since David Moyes come in isn't doing too badly. Yeah, I, I, I still think 
regardless of, even if they go on a run now, overall they're still going to underachieve this season. I think I don't think they're going to get relegated, but I don't even see them being top half of the league come the end of the season. If they do, it'll be like 10th. Chelsea had a big win. Yeah, big win. 3-0, looking good. Another goal for Tammy. Tammy, their young players are doing well. Callum Hudson-Doy's first goal in the Premier League. Reese James looking good, putting a good cross for the, um, was it the second goal? Yeah, yeah, it was the second goal. Reese James is a really interesting one because we're definitely not short of British right-backs at the moment. There's some, some of the best right-backs in the world happen to be English. And almost, I almost feel like Reese James, although young and still got a lot to prove, sort of embodies some of our best right-backs. He's, he's physically strong, like a Kyle Walker. He gets forward well and puts in a good ball, like a Trent Alexander-Arnold. And he can defend like a Wan-Bissaka. Could he be the guy in the next five years ahead of Trent, ahead of Kyle Walker, ahead of Aaron Wan-Bissaka to be England's right-back? Or is that a bit too early to say I think it's a bit too early to say I think it all depends on their paths mm-hmm. because what you need to remember is Trent's not very old I think Trent's 21 Ambersaka's 19 20 uh, I think yeah pretty young I think he's in his 20s though even Kyle Walker's not that old I think Kyle Walker's what 27 28 I think he's 29 you know I think he's a little bit older oh really mm. um, I was just sort of saying that you know 27 28 isn't old because I'm going to be 28 in Nine days, so you know, just just put just putting that out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it all depends on how Trent and Wambasaka do, because they're in the driving seat at the moment. And if they continue to progress, then I don't think he has a good of a chance, despite how good he is. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I always thought he was a left back. I don't know why, but I always thought the rechange was a left back that, for some reason, Frank's got him playing on the right. Uh, I wouldn't know, to be completely honest with you. I mean, maybe, maybe I'll just dream that, but that was my, that was my uh, understanding. He played on the right in that last game, though, didn't he? Which is normally... Yeah, he always plays, he always plays on side. the right for Chelsea, but that would help his cause, because if he's a left full back, he'll get in. Because he's got Ben Chilwell and Danny Rose, and Danny Rose is doing a bit of a Bournemouth and sinking without a trace at the moment. Yeah, like the Titanic. It's more of a compliment that Chelsea managed to stick three past the Burnley side, who I still think are... You know, a reasonably decent defensive outfit. Yeah, I, I don't really know what I think of Burnley anymore. I'm almost like forgetting about how good they once were. Yeah. They almost seem like like maybe complacent, like they've had this same way of playing for so long and now it's no longer really effective. I still don't see them being that much in danger of getting relegated. Yeah, same. I don't think they're, they're, they're not going to have relegation battle coming this season. I think they're going to be one of those teams that are bottom half, but okay, 14th. Yeah, yeah, a good, a good solid 14th finish. The last game was the battle of the two informed English strikers, which you're not going to thank me for saying. <laughs> well, I mean, the most uh, informed English striker uh, is uh, Marcus Rashford. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Danny Ings versus James Hardy. And Ings came out on top in this game. Shocking, really, because the reverse fixture, less than beat them 9-0. <laughs> yeah, they've really and come back with a vengeance. And just in case you want proof, Leicester brought out a DVD on it. So it must be true. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Of recent, Southampton have definitely seemed like a bit of a force to be reckoned with. And especially Danny Ings is in such great form. I mean, he's up there on the, uh, the scoring stats. I think he's maybe second or third. Yeah, I'm just checking now. So he's, 
Jamie Vardy's at the top with 17. Then you've got Aubameyang, Danny Ings and Marcus Rashford all tied on 14 in the race for the Golden Boot. So to be scoring that many goals for a team like Southampton who aren't you know, at the top of the table and aren't scoring as many goals like some of the other clubs, that's a pretty big achievement. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that... Um, I, w- I always had a bit of faith in him. I know he went through a bit of a barren spell when he was, you know, earlier in the seasons, but I always liked him at Liverpool. And I think that, you know, he knows where the goal is and works hard. And he's an asset to Southampton now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if he carries on the way he's playing, then maybe he's he's going to get a call up for the 2020 Euros. Euros? Yes, it is the Euros. Exactly. Mm. One thing I just wanted to talk about before we sign off, um, and this is a conversation that came up earlier this week, we were talking, as we have spoke about a few English strikers on the pod today, um, there seems to be a running theme of English strikers who are almost too good for the championship, or at least do really well in the championship, um, but never seem to be good enough for the premiership. Um, and I think I spoke to you about this earlier in the week. I just wanted to reel off some names and just reminisce about some English strikers that almost were. Who uh, Who's the first one that comes to mind? The first one that comes to my mind is David Nugent. Really? Yeah. Wow. One England cap, one England goal. Yes. Great games to goal ratio. Him and Sam Allardyce. Oh, yeah. what a pairing. <laughs> um, no, and... Yeah, Nugent's never really done it in the Premier League. Um, Cameron Jerome. Oh, that's the first one that comes in my head. Yeah. That Excellent man, it doesn't, matter who, it, it doesn't matter who he plays for in the Championship, he scores goals. It doesn't matter who he plays for in the Premier League, he is rubbish. <laughs> yeah. That's like, that is literally, he has literally found his level. Like championship is where he's at. Um, we 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 had this discussion earlier in the week. I do remember, and I can't remember who we thought of. There was. Did we say? Oh, not a Charlie Austin. What about? You said Charlie Austin. You. I did, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure because sure he's he's he did have a decent spell in the Premier League. I, I, I mean, I liked him. I sort of begged to differ on that one, but I can understand why. You know, sometimes he does go missing, but I think that if he played in a side that created more chances, I think he would have more goals. How about Mitrovic? He's not English. Oh yeah, we said English, didn't we? <laughs> 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 Um, Dave Kitson. Um, came up with Reading. Yeah, Leroy Lita as well. Oh, Leroy Lita, yeah. Leroy Lita. Um, you know, scored some goals. Didn't really do much in the Premier League. Um, the other one that you mentioned to me, thinking about it, Darren Huckabee. Ah, we yeah. About Darren Huckabee. But Darren Huckabee in the 90s was a pretty decent player for Coventry. So. 
I've got another this one. This is what I was thinking about after our conversation. Another one has come to me. Dean what? Ashton. Not a chance. Not having that. Were you not say was, that in the slightest. Was he good in the Premier Dean League? Ashton, Dean Ashton was a baller. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember he, like, went, he went for big like, money to Honestly, if Dean Ashton Ham, hadn't had that injury... Yeah, if Dean Ashton didn't have that injury, he'd have had so many England caps. Andy Carroll. I do. Yes. <laughs> yes, now that is someone I agree with you with. I'm really well in the Championship and hasn't really done much in the Premier League. He's done that over a kick for West Ham at the Olympic Stadium that will be replayed for, for years and years. But apart from that, you know, and apart from the fact that he duped some club into signing him for 35 million, um, I think that's that's all. And I know that probably sounds really harsh, but when you look back, I don't think he's going to be looked at upon as one of the great Premier League strikers. There's got to be some, you know, there's always that striker that like, is on the books for one of the big Premier League clubs. But then they go on loan and do really well. Do you remember he was on loan from Manchester United, Sylvan Ebanks-Blake? Yes. I do remember Sylvan Ebanks-Blake. I also think Benekophobe as well. Oh, that's a good shout, Benekophobe. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's loads of these players. Uh... Stephen Fletcher? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're broadening out into... Oh, uh, I know you're going to say. I just remembered who you mentioned the other day. Go on. Dwight Gale. Dwight Gale, yes. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. Apart from, apart from if he played Liverpool every week, he'd get 30 goals. <laughs> yeah. He um, turns up at the most random of times. The, the other one that you mentioned was Robbie Earnshaw. Yeah, although not English. That's why I haven't mentioned him again. Uh, Stephen Fletcher's Scottish, though, so I thought we was going to go for the old British feel. Oh, I didn't realise he was Scottish. Shame. Um, I've got another I, one. Andre Gray. On. Yeah. Has, has he really done it in the Premier League? I'm not sure he has. But he, he, done, he did in the he done one. He done one decent season for Burnley and has done nothing since. Yeah, but it's um, it's very, it's a very interesting topic of conversation, and some people might think of ones that we haven't even thought of. Yeah, so let us know. Tweet us at D Samworth, and uh, at SLI. Sly Hector, yeah. S I L. I'll let you say. I really wanted to go for that then. I really wanted to go for when you reel it off really quickly, but it's not. It's not happening, is it? Not happening. S I L E C T A. Yeah. S L I E. Yeah. Yeah. Instant. Lovely. and on that note I think that's a great way to end <laughs> thanks guys we'll catch yeah. you next week yeah thanks for listening take it easy bro bye <laughs> <laughs>